0: Um, our passage for today is Matthew thirteen fifty three through 58. Uh, hear the word of the Lord. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his ma- mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is Tyler, and I'm one of the pastors here. And the low battery light just came on this pack, so I'm going to keep it off. I think one is heading down here soon, so we don't, don't want to lose it in the middle. It's okay to prolong the beginning, but we uh, here it comes. Thanks, Gabe. Rookie mistake. We should know better than this, right? I'm sorry. It's been one of those kinds of weeks, actually, for me. It's been a super full week around here, so I'm going to pray as we get started, too. For In, and then we'll be on our way, but Lord, um, and this is a good passage from your scripture this week, and it is a, it is a privilege to speak about it, but I'm going to need uh, your help and your uh, support and power and energy to do it, and I know that we're all going to need uh, you to open our ears and open our hearts to what it is that you have to say, and so we just ask for that, Lord, uh, that your word would speak powerfully here and that we would all be receptive hearers, and uh, it's in your name we pray amen. All right. Like I said, my name is Tyler. I work here and uh, wanted to start with a question for you this week. It's a question that I posted to Facebook a little earlier this week, but the question is this. What were the three best nights of your life? What were the three best nights of your life? Can you think of them? Uh, When I posted this question to Facebook, it was kind of interesting to see what results came back. Folks talked about different ceremonies that they had been a part of, vacations, receptions, new children. In fact, uh, one sweet member of this church, she wrote that all hers involve music and babies. Uh, So we'll have to ask her more what that means. And then, of course, a friend turned the question on me, and they said, Tyler, how would you answer that? And I said, that's not how this works. But if I were to try to put my finger... On the best three nights of my life, I would try to really hone in on some nights that stand out among all others. I think one that would rise to the top was the night that I got to see Kelly Clarkson in the front row in the Allstate Arena in Chicago with my dad. Uh, You've gotta know this about me, Church. I am a huge Kelly Clarkson fan. I have been ever since she won American Idol, and I debated whether or not I would share this this morning, uh, but I decided that we're family and that this is a safe space. I'm going to let you know, I was at one point a ranked member in Kelly's global online fan club. Uh, So I I am who I am, and I love Kelly Clarkson. To me, it's just obvious uh, she is vocal perfection. I don't know if you've stopped to consider how blessed we are to live at the same time as the greatest singer God ever gave to earth. Uh, But if you look up at this diagram of Kelly's setup in Chicago, I'll show you um, about where I was. So do you see that heart-shaped stage right in the middle? Now, I was right at the tip of the heart, and I wanted to be so present for the concert, I only took one photo, but I have it here. This is where I was sitting, again, with my dad, 10 feet away uh, from my favorite singer of all time, hearing her sing my favorite songs. I've got to tell you, that has to be one of the best nights of my life, if not top three, right? It is certainly, certainly close. And here's the thing. I'm here this morning, and I asked about maybe the best three nights in your life. And I just told you that this night with Kelly instantly stands out as one of the best nights of my life. Because it it was wonderful to be mere feet from a singer that I adore. I'm telling you, we made eye contact during (laughs) Miss Independent. But here's the thing. There are people in the world for whom Kelly Clarkson is just Kelly, right? There are people that work with Kelly every day. There's people that see her on a regular basis who knew Kelly before Idol, who maybe were roommates with Kelly, maybe they went to high school with her, maybe they lived down the street with her when she grew up, right? Maybe they're related to her. There are people in the world for whom Kelly Clarkson is just Kelly. And so for them, a night less than 10 feet away from her, that wouldn't stand out as anything big or noteworthy, would it? It's, uh, it's probably unlikely that they would need some commemorative photo of that kind of a night. It's pretty unlikely, too, that that kind of night would wind up in their top three nights, isn't it? There's people in the world whom Kelly Clarkson is just Kelly, and that's how it goes. Those names we've all heard, those faces we all recognize, those prominent people that tend to stand out a bit, there's people that know them closely. There's people who are maybe unimpressed by them. There's people who don't uh, give them unchecked deference, who aren't wowed by their accomplishments, who don't cling to their every word. That's just how it goes, isn't it? And that's certainly how it was for Jesus, as the passage we read today states. Jesus, the great preacher, right? Jesus, the renowned healer, the hot commodity, the talk of the temple, whom was on everyone's lips across the Galilee region, Jesus had a hometown. He had childhood friends and neighbors and siblings. And so while all of Palestine was buzzing about him, those closest to Jesus, they were unimpressed. When he returned to Nazareth, coming back from kind of a blockbuster speaking and healing and teaching tour, uh, those closest to him resisted his message, dismissing what he had to say because they thought they already knew him Well, And I think their mistake is so frequently our mistake. And so this morning, I want us to look together at God's Word, and I want us to ask for the Spirit's guidance as we seek to better understand the error that those closest to Jesus made so that we might avoid their fate. Because I I want us to see this morning, let me say this, that there's a certain kind of danger that comes with familiarity. And I want to show it to you from Scripture. So if you haven't already, could you join me in Matthew 13? Uh, We're looking at verses 53 to 58, and it's on, if you're using uh, our community Bibles, it's on page 819. So Matthew 13, 53 to 58. And before we launch right into that text, I want to do a quick recap of where we've been for the past six months, church. We've been going through Matthew's gospel verse by verse, and it has been a wonderful journey. We've learned how Jesus came, and it was a good news for all people, right? And he came as an unlikely king that established an upside-down kingdom where those who were usually cast aside were called blessed. We just wrapped up a series called Responding to the King where we identified ways that we could make Jesus' teaching applicable in our own lives. And then this morning, We're launching into a new part of this long study of Matthew that's called The King Revealed. And so we're going to watch as this king performs incredible miracles. We'll see him in kind of great glory and listen as he begins to articulate how his own death is necessary for his kingdom's growth and success. We've got an exciting summer ahead of us, but first it begins with this sobering story, an account that outlines how those who should have been the first to embrace Jesus we're actually the first to reject him. So we've heard it read once this morning, but let's return and take it verse by verse. Matthew thirteen fifty three. it says, When Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. Matthew writes that Jesus, after he'd been away teaching, came back to his hometown And when he arrived there, he did what he knew to do. He made his way to the synagogue and he began to teach. And at first, Matthew notes, those who gathered, uh, they were astonished at what Jesus said. And we've run across this word astonished before. Uh, Do you remember maybe Matthew 7, 28 and 29? It's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It says there, the crowds were astonished, same word again, right? At his teaching, for he was teaching as one who had authority and not as their scribes. You see, this is a common response to Jesus' teaching. The crowds hear what he has to say, and they're blown away because he teaches as one with absolute authority, with total confidence and conviction, with power, right? And so Jesus brings that same powerful teaching back to his hometown. And the text says that at first the crowds were astonished, right? But then they ask a question, They say, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Notice their question is one of source, right? Where did Jesus get these ideas? Where did he learn these bold truths? Where does this power that supports his teaching and undergirds his mighty works, where does that come from? And that's not a bad line of inquiry, right? It shows me that the crowds recognize that there's something different about Jesus now that he's come back. There's something powerful about what it is that they're saying. There's something different about the way that he's saying it. And so they ask, where did this come from? That's not a bad question. But then their questions begin to shift, and it becomes apparent that in their hearts, They aren't primarily concerned about the source or the content of Jesus' teaching. They're, They're kind of looking for something else. And so let's read on. Verse 55, they start to ask, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? You see, the questions of Jesus' hometown, they began to shift, and this shift reveals the motive of their hearts. Their simple questions concerning the source of Jesus' teaching turn into questions about Jesus' background, about Jesus' family, about his vocational heritage, about his status in the town before he went away. Isn't this the carpenter's son, they ask? Don't we know his mom and his brothers and his sisters? Didn't he grow up right down that street? Weren't you his third grade teacher? Didn't he get that bad haircut that one summer, right? You get the idea, right? They turn their questions from questions focused on Jesus' teaching to questions focused on Jesus' biography. They transition from the what of what he's saying to the who of who he is and what they know about his past. They shift from the content to the messenger and what's the result verse 57 says and they took offense at him don't miss this jesus goes home to teach to those who've known him longest to those who grew up with him to those who've seen him for a long time and as they processed his teaching their response turned from astonishment to offense from wonder at what he says to dismissal and how does that happen how do you move from astonishment at what Jesus is saying to offense at what Jesus is saying? How do you move from finding yourself captivated by his teaching to finding ways that you can avoid it and reject it? How does that happen? Well, Jesus himself gives us a clue. He says this A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his household. A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and in his household. What an interesting explanation. You see, Jesus suggests that the reason the crowd took offense at his teaching is because he's a prophet. And now to understand fully what Jesus is saying here, we've got to look a little more closely at the role and status of the prophets in the Bible. You see, the prophets were spokespersons from God who came to address his people. They were mouthpieces. They always delivered messages of both some judgment but also some grace. The prophets would speak out and condemn corruption. They would highlight ways that societies were mistreating the poor and the marginalized and oppressed. They would speak truth to power, uh, addressing kings and calling out their greed and their apathy and boldly proclaiming that in God's kingdom, right, all were to be treated fairly and equitably. Uh, the prophets would bring bold messages requiring people to repent, to change what they had been what they've been doing, even as they would pronounce God's love and God's care and God's steadfast compassion for his people. Those were the messages they would bring. I think of the prophet Nathan who confronted David after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, right? Speaking boldly to an authority figure who would have had the power to execute him for questioning his power, right? I think of Elijah confronting Ahab or Samuel confronting Saul. The prophets, they were just these bold spokespersons with difficult jobs, In fact, the the Jewish rabbi Abraham Heschel says, to be a prophet is both a distinction and an affliction, right? It's both a special task and a weighty responsibility. And indeed, it was the prophet Jeremiah who said, if I say I will not mention him, by which he means if I as a prophet say that I'm not going to speak about God any longer, if I as a prophet decide that I'm not going to share this message that's been given to me, right? If I say I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name, There is in my heart, as it were, a fire burning that's shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. You see, Jeremiah is saying, no matter how hard I try, as a prophet, I can't help but prophesy. I can't help but say these bold truths that have been given to me because I'm so consumed by the message and I'm so consumed by the one from whom the message comes. I can't help but speak. I speak because I must. And here's the point. In the exact same way that the Old Testament prophets were created and called by God to bring a message to His people, God the Father sent Jesus the Son to speak definitively about God's character and God's plan for humanity. God, Jesus came as God in the flesh to speak God's own words about God and to tell us how we ought to live and how we ought to work and how we ought to worship and how we ought to love. Jesus came to say and to show that God would redeem once and for all the people that He'd created. He came to announce a new kingdom, a kingdom unlike any the world has ever seen. He arrived on earth to speak clearly about God's heart And to reiterate that God desires mercy and not sacrifice, as the Old Testament prophet Hosea had first said. And to announce again that those who seek God will find God, as the prophet Jeremiah had said thousands of years before him. Jesus came as the ultimate prophet, the prophet above all prophets, the one who would speak with total clarity, and total authority on God's behalf because he was God himself, right? That's what was different about Jesus' teaching. And like the many prophets before him, this is what Jesus is saying when he says, a prophet is without honor, like the many prophets before him, Jesus was rejected by the people to whom he was sent. The irony throughout Matthew's gospel that we've accounted again and again as we've worked through this book (laughs) verse by verse is that those who should have accepted Jesus' message didn't. Those who should have embraced his teaching and recognized it as the new and better word from the same God, the God of Abraham, the God of Moses, the God who had led Israel out of slavery in Egypt, those who were familiar with the scriptures and with Jewish history, those who were religious and good people, those who should have been or whom we might have expected to have accepted Jesus' teaching they were often the first to reject it. They were the ones that said no to his bold words regarding the kingdom. They were the ones who took offense at him. Because a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his household. And those who had experiential knowledge of Jesus, those who had seen him as a kid, right? who would hung out with him in his youth, those who were familiar with Jesus, we could say, They knew just enough to write off his message. This is where I've got to be honest with you. That is incredibly sobering to me. That's why we're getting a little serious this morning, and you all know me well enough to know that I don't particularly enjoy being serious or sober. I mean, Kelly Clarkson's my favorite singer after all. There is no happier music than Kelly's. But we've got to be serious this morning. Here's why. We've got to be serious Because the error made by those in Jesus' hometown, I believe, is an error we are all too prone to repeat. You see, the fact is this room is filled with people a lot like the people in Jesus' hometown in that this room has a lot of folks who are familiar with Jesus. I know that's not everyone here. I know there are some folks here that are just checking Jesus out, that are investigating Jesus. And I want you to hear from me. This is a space for you, right? I get that. There's all kinds of folks here, but I do know There are a lot of people here who would say they're pretty familiar with Jesus, right? That they've maybe grew up in a family that talked about Jesus, or they've been a part of different Christian communities that celebrated Jesus. They're aware of who Jesus was and how Jesus taught and what he said and why he did what he did. They've been around Jesus for a while. Maybe that describes you. Let me say this. I know that that describes me. And the reality is that for those of us who have been around Jesus for a while, those of us who are familiar with Him and we can recite all His stories, right, those of us for whom Jesus might feel like, I don't know, old news or a comfortable chair, right, something that you, you've seen, you've appreciated, you can understand and accept it quickly, you know exactly what it's all about, those of us who have been around Jesus for a while, we can come, become very adept at familiarizing Jesus, and then kind of ignoring Jesus or getting bored with Jesus, and then sometimes dismissing Jesus. And the way it happens is because we know how to do it. We know how to get out from under His bold and provocative teaching. We know how to shift from under the weight of His clear, challenging words, right? We know that if you want to avoid an uncomfortable message, you can always challenge and undermine its source. And so we go after kind of the who's instead of the what's of Jesus' teaching. We avoid what Jesus has said about mercy and compassion by thinking about all the Christians who never showed us that, right? We avoid what Jesus has said about generosity by pointing out all the Jesus followers we know who have never been anything but stingy or ungracious towards us. We dismiss what Jesus has said about rest and trusting Him by highlighting Jesus followers we know who lies or characterized by workaholism and a thirst for control. And then we're able to say, and this is Tyler's New Living Translation of Matthew, we're able to say, Jesus, is this not my mom's savior? And are not his followers the people down the street who made fun of me? Are not his children, Greg and Tina and Joe from work who always gossip, are not his workers and ministers sometimes rude and inconsiderate? Who then does he think he is How can he tell me how to live? That's how it happens, isn't it? You see, at the end of the day, familiarity with Jesus can be just as dangerous as total ignorance of Jesus. Familiarity, it can be just as dangerous as total ignorance because to be familiar with Jesus is to know just enough to know how to dismiss Jesus. When you're familiar with him, when you know that his family, the church, can be a little petty sometimes, right? when you know that his teachings and stories aren't always applied, when they become kind of a dull noise in the back of your head, when you've lost the wonder you once had when you encountered Jesus, right? When you get familiar with Jesus, scary things can result. Because our familiarity with Jesus, it can easily turn into apathy or contempt. It can cause us to get bored with him and his bold teachings, or it can lead us to resent the challenging ways he invites us to follow him. And, And here's why familiarity is such a problem. It's because none of us were created for familiarity with Jesus. None of us were. We were made for intimacy with Jesus, for deep and abiding relationship with Jesus. We were made to know him fully by walking with him closely in covenant relationship. But familiarity, none of us were made for that. And so familiarity, just being aware enough of Jesus to know how to dismiss him, that's that's not how it's supposed to be. It's incredibly dangerous. Being merely familiar with Jesus is is not how the Christian life is to be lived. I think what was really eye-opening for me and landed with me personally convicting when I prepared this message is when I learned that Jesus' hometown crowd allowed their knowledge of Jesus to keep them from knowing Jesus. Jesus. They allowed what they did know about Jesus, right? His biography, the fact that he grew up in that house, that he had this family, these siblings. They allowed what they did know about Jesus to keep them from knowing him as Lord and Master, as an all-powerful king worthy of obedience and total respect and worship. They let what they did know keep them from really knowing. And man, so often we do the same thing, don't we? That mistake has terrible consequences. It keeps us from that close, intimate relationship with Jesus that we were designed for. It robs us of joy-filled, vital life with Jesus. And ultimately, it could keep us internally separated from Him. So so what are we supposed to do? (laughs) How do we keep our familiarity with Jesus from turning into apathy or contempt for Jesus? Well, I, I don't have any Easy answers, but I have some suggestions. And again, the reasons I have these suggestions was because as I was writing this sermon, I realized, gosh, Tyler, you need to develop a plan for yourself moving forward. I mean, this is a, a sobering word from the gospel. So what can we do? Well, first, I think we can cultivate closeness with Jesus through prayer. We've got to cultivate that closeness through prayer. Because you see, those in Jesus' hometown, when I was thinking about it, they they hadn't spoken to him for a while. He'd gone away, and when he returned, they concluded that they wouldn't accept his teaching just after a brief conversation. I mean, basically all they'd done is heard him say his stump speech, right? But they dismissed him after very minimal conversation. They hadn't been in regular dialogue with Jesus while he was away. And I think when we get familiar with Jesus, we can do the same thing. Sure, we might throw up a request or a petition every so often. Can you, can you fix this? My check engine light just came on. I don't know if you ever laid hands on a dashboard, but I have. Uh, but we don't ask him questions, right? We don't listen in prayer. Right? We can send up all the requests, but we're not looking at prayer as a time to meet with Jesus, who's a person, right, who cares, with whom we have a relationship. It's, it's request, it's request, it's familiar, it's send a letter in the mail, hey, while well, I've got you on the line, one more thing. But it's not intimate, and it's not close relationship with Jesus? I mean, if you'd look back at the prayers you said this week, would you say they sounded more like the prayers of one who was familiar with Jesus or one who was intimate with Jesus? And I don't know the answer to that question for you. I just know that in my life, I could use some more of these intimate prayers with Jesus. I can cultivate that closeness with Him through prayer, and so if that's you, here's a, something I'm planning on praying this week. Uh, very simple prayer, kind of a one-liner. You could certainly write it in your note sheet if you wanted, but it's God, help me to know You better. I think that's going to be my prayer this week. Help me to know You better, and then I'm just I plan on waiting. This is what I, I'm going to wait. I'm Going to try to listen. I'll read the Bible a bit, but I, I want to pause in prayer. I don't want to come with so many requests. God, help me to know you better. How do we keep our familiarity from turning into apathy or contempt? I think first, we cultivate closeness with Jesus through prayer. That's one suggestion. And here's another. I think we can also spend time with people who are excited about Jesus. Spend some time with people who are excited about Jesus. I mean, if you've been around Jesus for a while and you feel pretty familiar with him and maybe a little bored, uh, you need to find some others who are very excited about their walk with Jesus right now. Maybe are peers that you can serve alongside. Maybe if you've uh, been around Jesus for a longer time, maybe you need to connect with some younger followers of Jesus. Maybe the wisdom that you had to share could be a great benefit of them, but maybe there's zeal I mean, their excitement for the Lord could be such a blessing to you as you've been around Him and walking with Him for a while. I think that that's one of the rich reasons we talked about relationships in the church this morning. And I don't know if, like you, you get goosebumps hearing those membership stories. I think that's a a rich asset we have in this church that there are believers of all ages and all walks of life in one space. And really, probably quite frankly, with all levels of excitement for Jesus. So if you're one who would say, Gosh, maybe I am familiar with Jesus. And maybe that's leading me a bit towards apathy. Gosh, maybe you need to spend some time with people who are excited about Jesus. And I know there's quite a few of them in this room and would love to help you make those connections if you need that. And then finally, I think we can cultivate awareness of Jesus in ordinary spaces. See, if you've grown familiar with Jesus, you might be tempted to think that you need some kind of special or extraordinary experience to get you excited about him again. And I might want to disagree with that statement. I don't think that familiarity with Jesus comes from needing to see Him doing something big or wowing or over the top. I don't think that's where familiarity comes from. Because I haven't seen that, now I'm familiar. I think familiarity comes from failing to see Jesus at work all around you every day. Our eyes just become dull. Our senses get a little out of tune. We, we don't catch how Jesus is intimately and actively at work in our world. And so if that's you, if you've been one this morning that say I might be a bit for, too familiar with Jesus and not intimate with Jesus, might I suggest that you could start each day with the goal of looking for something, some way that Jesus is at work in your day, and then end each day by writing down what you've seen Jesus do. Why do I suggest that practice? Because the discipline of observation and openness and then the discipline of noticing what Jesus has done and writing it down, I think that that grows gratitude. That grows our awareness and it actually makes us the kind of people who are better able to see just naturally without thinking where and how God is at work. I don't know if if that works for everyone, but I think that's something I'm going to be doing, recognizing where God is at work this week and writing it down how I see it so that I can become more in tune with his work And have a more intimate walk with him. And so, and I want to say, I know this could have been, this might feel like a sobering message. I know today's scripture gives a word of warning to those who are familiar with Jesus, right? There could be many of us in this room. But I don't want you to leave this morning without hearing this. This really got me. There is incredible hope in this passage that suggests familiarity with Jesus doesn't have to lead to contempt or apathy, that it can result to intimacy and devotion. Where is this glimmer of hope in this passage? Well, let's, let's look back at verse 55. This stood out to me. As the hometown crowd sought to undermine Jesus, let's hear this question again. They mentioned Jesus' brothers. In verse 55, they said, aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Now, I want to be Honesty. I don't know what happened to Joseph, the brother of Jesus, right? And I don't know what happened with Simon, but I can tell you how things turned out with James, because James, who grew up with Jesus, and James, who was familiar with Jesus, and James, who was used here by the hometown crowd to dismiss Jesus, right? This James, the brother of Jesus, who most scholars say rejected Jesus's divinity while Jesus was alive. This James became the James who's mentioned in Acts 15, who was part of the early church leadership and is the same James who wrote the epistle at the end of our Bible, right, that talks about following Jesus with our full lives and how our faith needs to be undergirded with active work and obedience, right? That same James used here to dismiss Jesus becomes one of the leaders in Jesus' early church, Becomes one who would write a book of the Bible. And the question that I kept asking myself is, what would it take for you to become convinced that your sibling was the savior of the world? Because that's what happened with James. And I don't have any siblings. I'm an only child. But I thought of my high school best friend, Tanner, uh, whom I once saw crash a car into a big uh, concrete barrier. I mean, we did all kinds of life together. And it's like, what would it take for me to believe Tanner's the savior of the world? And it would take a lot as close as I have to a brother. But here's what happened in James' circumstance. What change happened? What shifted in James? Here's what I think took place. I think he certainly... would have found it difficult to deny the resurrection of his brother. I think that resurrection power is probably something that helped James transition. I think he certainly had to shift a bit and kind of reconsider his brother's teaching, right? I'm sure he thought back to everything he heard Jesus say, and he started piecing that all together. I'm sure this was part of James' journey. But I think a big step that he took was a step towards humility. Humility to surrender all the familiar details that he knew about Jesus to surrender all those family memories and all those stories of growing up. right? James put all that aside and instead embraced his brother as a king, as a God, a king unlike any other, a king who always acts for the good of his people, who laid down his life for his people even as they rejected and were offended by him. And I think that James, as he thought more about his brother as that kind of king, realized that that king is no familiar or ordinary king at all, but that that king is someone special and someone worth knowing and someone worth worshiping. that's the kind of Christ follower I want to be. And so I'm going to pray now for all of us that we'd have the Spirit's help to follow the Lord in that way. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this small story in a big gospel that can remind us that our familiarity with you is not how we were designed to be, Lord, that just knowing a few things about you and knowing a couple stories and a bit of your biography, that's that's not what you want. You made us and created us for intimacy, Lord, and I pray that we would be the kind of church that is characterized by deep relationship with you, that isn't satisfied merely to be familiar with you, but like your brother, lays down all those little details we know in ways we think we couldn't dismiss you and instead embraces humility recognizes the content of your teaching and what you've said and decides that we will trust and follow that with our whole lives. Lord, we need your help to be those kind of people, and so we ask that you would uh, give us the power to do that. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.